Hey guys, welcome to the 26th episode of the Indian Market Story. We're here to talk to you about a really interesting industry that you see every single day. We're talking about fast-moving consumer goods. Brands like Maggie, Surf, Vim, Lux, and many, many more by companies like Dabur, ITC, HUL, Nestle are all a part of our everyday lives and they've been huge wealth creators for investors. We're here with our returning guest, Mr. Deepan Mehta, to talk about why investors should care about these companies and whether they should be a part of your portfolio or not. Deepan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast once again. Um, we're here to talk about FMCG stocks. Why should investors care about them? First of all, Varun, thank you for again inviting me on this very important podcast on FMCG companies. Uh, because I think uh, the way this industry has shaped up it has been central to creating the entire equity cult in India. It all started with FMCG companies, in my opinion. And they've been fabulous wealth creators. And uh, they have brought a lot of, uh, I would say, richness to the country, to the people. And they have done a lot of, uh, I would say, value add to our day-to-day -day lives as well. I think you'd agree to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the great stories of India's growth over these last 30 odd years has been our consumption story and how we've lifted nearly 300 million people out of poverty and into a better quality life. And these companies have been central to that. Absolutely. And I think uh, they have provided us with the right kind of products to improve the hygiene, to improve our health, uh, to improve our lifestyle. And uh, I think the country, in a way, is richer. Uh, the people are richer because of the products that they have offered to this country. So one really unique aspect about these companies is that the real behemoths in the space, HUL, Nestle, and even to some extent ITC, are all MNC companies that are listed in India. Now, that's not necessarily true of all MNCs. They often op operate as subsidiaries. So how did that come about? That's the most important question, I think. And you can say that India's equity cult started with the listing of these FMCG companies and a few of the other MNCs as well, operating in the pharma space, engineering space. So in 1973, the government enacted the FERA law and it prohibited 100% ownership of companies within India by foreign parent companies. So these companies were forced to go public and depending upon which product and which industry they were operating in, they had to uh, kind of dilute their capital by 25% to almost 60% or so. And a lot of the companies you see today, they were forced to go for an IPO and the IPO price was at extremely low price levels, almost at book value or slightly higher than that. And investors who applied for these IPOs and got the uh, allotment or subsequently bought the shares in the 1980s and 90s have got returns which are like mind boggling. I mean, 50 times, 100 times, could be 1000 times also, I don't know. And the amount of dividends they have paid out has also been phenomenal. So yeah. it all started with these... FMCG companies and the MNC companies when they got listed on the Bombay Stock Exchange. So one thing I want to point out, and maybe we'll have this in front of our viewers, every single FMCG company that we're talking about today, HUL, Nestle, ITC, Dabur, Imami, um, oh, there's, there's a couple more, uh, and Marico, all of them have beaten the index. Yes. Every single FMCG company. And I'm not surprised, you know, Varun, because India is a consumption story. Our population keeps on growing. And not only does it keep on growing, more and more people go up the value chain. They go from poverty, they start earning money. And, uh, you know, they, when, then they require the basic 
necessities, the basic products are required. And these are the products which these FMCG companies do offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these FMCG companies have had like 20, 30 years of runway for growth. Mm-hmm. And that's been uh, their main strength. And the leaders of today have captured this growth rate mm-hmm. through excellent execution. They have built the brands. They have set up the distribution network. And uh, they have created value-added products. And that's visible in the value they've created for their shareholders. Let's maybe look forward from the past and look into the future. Now, it seems like India's basic consumption story um, has run its course and we're moving up the hierarchy of needs into discretionary expenditures like white goods. And it seems like that's reflected in the growth rates of some of these companies. And I'm going to specifically point out the two behemoths in the space, HUL and Nestle. And if we look at their top line growth over the last five years, I think HUL has done 9% compounded. And Nestle has also done 8.7, so 9% compounded over the last five years in top line and their bottom lines are not too far off. The point I'm trying to come to is, do you think that this secular growth story, this runway is finished or is there another chapter? See, I think that uh, one of the product categories that all of these FMC companies operate in, they have reached maturity phase. I mean, there's only so much more toothpaste and soap and detergent that you can sell. Uh, They have covered entire India. These companies have gone deep into rural areas as well. So now I think their volume growth will get restricted. I expect it to be in line with population growth, which is 1% to 2% or so. And from that point of view, I think these companies now will start to slow down drastically for the next three to five years. But, you know, in the stock market, we are not worried about that. Because if the FMCG companies are growing slowly, we have a whole host of new sectors where growth has suddenly picked up. Retail, healthcare, hospitality, travel, appliances, real estate, automobiles. Yeah. So, and that's a great segue to subscribe to the channel because we've done podcasts on very many of the sectors. That, that we've spoken about. And there's several more to come. Exactly. But sorry, please coming back to your point. See, I'll tell you, you know, Varun, one thing, having been in the market for 30 years now, in India, any consumption story works. The best value creators like Titan, not an FMC company, like Titan, like HUL, you know, some of the other large consumption, like Avenue Supermarket, right. recent listing. These are the companies, you know, India is a consumption market, like, you know, and more and more of such products are going to be required products and services and uh, FMCG were the first flag bearers Mm -hmm. of this consumption investment theme. Now many more are there but they were among the first to come and now obviously uh, a lot of the products have turned mature so you cannot expect the same type of growth rates but as we get granular we'll talk specifics. Yeah so I want to ask something specifically over here right you you talked about how we can't continue expecting the same growth rates. And forgive my incomplete understanding, but my understanding is P multiples are in large part influenced by the future growth of the company. If that's wrong, please correct me. But I specifically want to highlight for HUL and Nestle once again, because HUL is a P of 56 and Nestle is trading at a P of 80. That's that's very, very expensive. For companies that are not showing high degrees of growth, that's well above the nifty average. In fact, because they are so large, they're probably dragging the nifty average up a lot. Should we expect sideways movement? Is this a misnomer or is there some something structural? 
See, we're on the price earning multiple is dependent on two things, future growth rates and another very important element which is not given due respect is the return on capital employed or return on equity or return on net worth, some return ratio. So these companies may not be growing as fast as they were growing earlier. But if you see the return on equity, return on capital, any of the return ratios, they are phenomenal. I mean, 30 to 100%, I would yeah. say. So I'll, I'll point it out and I'll, again, uh, uh, hopefully the figures will flash up. Both, both HUL and Nestle have a return on capital employed of over 100%. And I saw that number and it shocked me. Did we check it out? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, really, we checked it out three times across three different places. Why are they so capital efficient? What, what is going on? How are, they, how are they making such a fantastic return on capital? I don't understand it. Power of the brand. So when you have the brand, you have the pricing power. So whatever cost increases take place, they're able to pass it on easily. It doesn't take much to manufacture detergents and soaps and toothpaste. It's a very capital inintensive business. The factories don't cost so much to manufacture. So they have invested so much in the brand and distribution. And these are all the softer aspects, the intangibles of a business that now whenever demand comes, it just goes to and they're able to capture the full value chain because of the brand, which is why they have such high return on capital employed. Also, Varun, you must admire that these FMCG companies like HUL, Nestle, they've been fantastic at capital allocation. I would yeah. say that you could call them as case studies in capital allocation, when to set up the factory, where to set it up, at what price point. Not only that, how to reward the shareholders. Right. And these companies have got a fabulous track record of buybacks and dividend distribution. So all of that is reflected in the return ratios. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's move on from, you know, these two companies to another behemoth. That's maybe not a good capital allocator. I think that's a great segue into ITC that has myriad businesses and from a lot of perspectives for a lot of investors is not so good with capital allocation. Do you have any specific thoughts on that? If I can make a controversial statement, Varun, in the market, everybody calls ITC as a FMCG company. I call it as a tobacco company. End of the day, ITC has not been successful in diversifying away from cigarettes. I entered the market in 1985. At that time also, ITC's focus was to diversify their operation. And even now they are trying to diversify the operation, but they have not been successful over 30, 40 years. It's just that cigarettes is such a business and it's so huge and so central to ITC. And their success in non-cigarette FMCG businesses has not been that great. Mm. I mean, you compare the return ratios of the non-cigarette FMCG business, the products that they have, the brands that they have built, it doesn't come to par with any of the other FMCG companies. So that's really the big problem with ITC, that some people call it a FMCG company, I call it a tobacco company, and the tobacco company has got many handicaps, as you know, Varun. Yeah. Fair enough. I think that's a really succinct and nice way to explain ITC. And... You know what, one question I'm dying to ask with all of these is going to be how to allocate them in your portfolio. But we'll come to how to allocate these stocks in your portfolio when we talk about FMCG as a whole. But 
we've spoken about the growth rates and we've spoken about lagging growth rates in particular. But one thing that you mentioned that I want to pick up on is premiumization. And then there's a set of companies in which, which are the companies that are capitalization, capitalizing on this premiumization trend? All of them. I think that uh, across the board, whether it is Indian FMCG companies or MNCs, they want to take you up the value chain because that's how they can get the next uh, alpha for their earnings growth. I mean, if you just buy the same soap at whatever, 20 rupees a cake or something, you're not going to make too much. But if I can take you to buying a soap, which is 25, 30, 40, that's when the profit margins are the highest. So it's a process which will keep on going on and on. And we are seeing it in our mm-hmm. advertising. We are seeing it in the products on the shelves of a lot of the general stores. So this is a, it's, it's an unending story. But you- more importantly, you know, Varun, we should talk also about the future of this business. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that optimistic of the future of this business because you're going to ask me about capital allocation, how much portfolio should be invested. And I'm going to answer that. But before I answer that, I want to tell you that these have been great businesses, but they are past their prime. A lot of the product categories are quite mature. Last two, three years, volume growth has been extremely low. Mm-hmm. And you know very well that Investors make money in growth companies. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to say that these are no longer growth companies. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But I want to talk about what may be an outlier or may just be a something else entirely. Uh, Hosanna Consumer, which you know is popularly known as Mama Earth. It seems like Hosanna or Mama Earth in particular seems to be sitting on this intersection of premiumization. They're showing rapid growth. I think in 2021, their top line was 100 crores in 2023 or 2022, if I'm not mistaken, it was 1,000 crores. They're showing all these characteristics of a growing company with good margins, uh, you know, great business, capitalizing on a premiumization trend. Do you do you consider Mama or, or Hosanna, for that matter, within this same basket of companies or are they something different? And how should investors be looking at that company? See, I think that uh, they are uh, getting into categories And within categories, they're getting into super premium range of those categories. And from that point of view, on the face of it, their strategy seems to be right. But the IPO price is extremely expensive. And in my opinion, they have gone public too early. And that's where I think the problem is going to come. Having seen Paytm, Zomato, Nika, I just feel that all these new age companies, they should go public when there's a proper roadmap to solid profitability, not just, uh, you know, marginal break-even type of profit. So to that extent, they have gone up, turned public a bit early. And I mean, the products also, they're not that widespread and well-known as yet. It's not a total brand company like HUL or Nestle, nowhere in that class. But I think the promoters have been in a hurry to offload their stake. Mm-hmm. And they are taking advantage of the market conditions, the positive market conditions. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to get too much into Mama, but I'll tell you that I, I sense that you're trying to ask me that if not these FMCG companies, then what? You know, so there's a whole host of other consumption companies which investors could look at. And there's something that, you know, as we as as the life cycle of the country, the life cycle of its people moves on, they will go for more and more value-added products and services. And once the basic needs are taken care of, it's the comforts which they will pursue. And that's where we need to focus on from an investor's perspective. 
You know, I completely get that, but I think I have a slightly different perspective on this because I think you can only you can only spend big money on a few things. But if you have a little money and you want to feel a little bit better, no, I feel like people will buy a slightly better FMCG product. Like you go from a Colgate to an Oral B or a Himalaya toothpaste. Or you go from, you know, your Lux soap to like a liquid Fiamo soap or something like that. So I'm not entirely convinced by our argument that the growth is over because I still think consumers will allocate a rising portion of their expenditure towards this segment. That's right. And that will what give them that 4-5% volume uh, volume growth and 7-8% uh, price growth overall growing at 10-12% or so. But what happens in this thing, Navarum, I've noticed is that when the times are bad, when the economy is slowing, when you're in a high inflation phase like we have been, uh, it's very common to see downgrading. So suddenly you find that people can easily move from an expensive soap to a cheaper Cheap one soap, yeah. because household budgets are under constraint. They want to do some cut somewhere. So that also comes into play sometimes. And uh, now India is at a stage of, of takeoff. Mm-hmm. And so many industries are at takeoff stage, mm-hmm. like retail. We spoke about those industries mm-hmm. earlier. We've done a few podcasts on them as well. So I would like to focus over there. Then the giants, you know, who have I think passed their prime. A company cannot just keep on growing at 20, 25 percent continuously for 100 years, can it? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think let's maybe just take a a quick tour through some laggards in the space to try and clear the air for some investors. Um, I want to talk about Dabur, Marco, and Imami as well. Uh, in particular, because all of them, and we'll try and have the figures up, have shown very weak top line and bottom line growth, even even underneath the Nestle and the HRL, even though they are much smaller companies. So just for some context, uh, Dabur's top line growth has been 6% over the last five years. Marco's has been 5.8%, and Imami has been 4.8% as well. So I... I think these companies have continued to reinforce the point you're making. There's no growth left in this space, even if you are a smaller player. That's right. And again, these are companies which are operating, a lot of them are in mature segments of the FMCG industry. And also, somehow their acquisitions have not worked out for them, like Imami to an extent. And also the fact that their maximum growth was when they were exploring the rural market. They were playing catch-up with the likes of uh, HUL and uh, Nestle in terms of distribution. But now that entire opportunity has been over and done with. So from that point of view, I'm very uh, circumspect about their growth going forward. And within the entire FMCG space, uh, there's one company I really want to talk about is Nestle. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, Nestle is slightly in a class apart compared to HUL, compared to these three companies. Compared to a lot of other companies which are on the FMCG space, like say Goldrich Consumer is there, mm-hmm. and uh, there's Britannia as well. There are so many other FMCG companies, but Nestle is a class apart. And somewhere you refer to the fact that it goes at a pre-multiple of 80 times. So let me just explain why it goes at 80 times. Okay. The reason is that when you look at the entire FMCG spectrum, the fastest growing segment in that, the one which has the highest growth, is the food and beverages segment. Right. And that's where Nestle derives its entire turnover from. So if you say that, which is the company which is operating in the segments which are not yet so mature, mm-hmm. 
Standard Company is Nestle. Well, I guess India can eat more Maggi. I did not think <laughs> we could possibly eat more Maggi. And more coffee. And more coffee. Yes. But it's, it's really, it's the Maggi. It's fine. We know it's the Maggi. So I want to move on from, you know, your, your pure play FMCG companies to more vertically integrated companies. And I'll, I'll give one example in particular over here. And I'll talk about Reliance Retail. Um, because a trend that we've seen with Reliance Retail over these last couple of years is they've made some really big acquisitions in the FMCG space, in, in the FMCG space, perhaps to bring those brands in-house, maybe put them directly on their shelves, give them preferential position. And I think this strategy is also being replicated by a couple of other companies in the retail space. So is that going to become a problem for these FMCG companies? Private labels? No way. It's not succeeded globally. I don't think it's going to succeed in India as well. And, uh, you know, the brands that these companies have created, they are like, we've grown up using those brands. So I don't see if somebody comes to me that, no, no, don't use Lux soap and use some other soap, which is unbranded. I'm not so sure that I want to do it. In any case, you know, Varun, the, when the size of the consumption grows, the contribution of the FMCG basket gets smaller compared to your overall income and expenditure. So just for a few marginal rupees, you're not going to compromise on the product. And I think companies like Reliance and some of the other large uh, detail companies, uh, they have to still prove themselves in terms of brand building and consistent uh, quality. So I'm, that's not a threat. The real threat is the population is not growing. Right. And therefore consumption is not growing. So let's come to, to the million dollar question of the podcast, the one that we always ask. How should investors position FMCG stocks in their portfolio? See, let me just answer it slightly differently because there's no real right answer for it. If you're a new investor, I'm avoiding FMCG completely. Completely. Because from a valuation perspective, from a growth perspective, it just doesn't make sense. A new investor should go for growth companies. It doesn't mean you should avoid consumption as an investment theme, but play it through other sectors. The bigger problem, Novarum, is that people have, old investors have got huge chunks of these in their portfolio. And that has skewed their portfolio proportion and that has led to underperformance of their portfolio as well. But these investors are married to these stocks because they've held them for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they are sitting on huge unbooked profit. It has served them so well, it has created family wealth. But now how do you let go of it? And that's the real question I want to address over here and tell our viewers that in your existing portfolio, which may have come down from your parents or even grandparents, we'll have a large chunk of these stocks, but you need to gradually diversify away from them. Be in the consumption space is the hottest thing. But now instead of buying companies which make toothpaste and soaps and detergents and hair oils, go towards companies which are running hospitals, hotels, restaurants, white goods, retail. You know, that's the way you have to transform your portfolio to move up the value chain. That's a, that's a very succinct and really lovely way to put it. And for, for existing investors as well as new investors that want to know um, what stocks and what themes they should be putting their money into, I, I think this is a great place to subscribe once again because uh, we're going to be doing more and more podcasts on these consumption themes. That's right, Varun. And I think, uh, you know, India is more like the US. 
and in us also we are seeing consumption which has been the driving force for last 50 years or so similar thing being played out in india as well all right well i think that's a fantastic note on which we can end our podcast uh, and and i'll once again reiterate to, to all the investors listening out there please do subscribe because we're going to have more and more stock ideas and more and more investment ideas for you all on a, on a regular basis this podcast is produced by elixir equities private limited a savvy registered research analyst registration number ina 00004787 the information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice investment in securities market are subject to market risk we strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing